You're listening to the Packernet Podcast Network. This episode is brought to you by Pepsi Wild Cherry. Pepsi Wild Cherry is bursting with delicious cherry flavor and a sweet, crisp taste that gives you more to go wild for. Getting wild may look different these days, but whether it's opting for a solo Friday binge watch or a big night out, everyone can indulge in their wild side with Pepsi Wild Cherry, also available in Zero Sugar. So grab a Pepsi Wild Cherry and get wild. Good Thursday afternoon. How you doing out there, Packer fans? Welcome into Packers Total Access. My name is Clayton Bailey. You can check us out on Packernet.com. You can find me on Twitter at Packers underscore access. If you'd like to email the show, you can send us a message to Packers Total Access at gmail.com. And on tap for today, we're going to be kind of previewing the Saints-Packers game, right, that we've got coming up on Friday night. Super excited about there being a possible live stream Uh, of that uh, as far as a watch party goes. Uh, Had a blast last week. Going to try to sit in on that again. I'll tell you, I was in front of the TV um, watching football and then talking during the post-game show. Um, You know, a total of, I guess it was almost six hours that I was sitting in this chair. And going to try to do that again. (laughs) Hopefully it'll work out. But if not, um, it's still going to be a blast watching the uh, the Packers and the Saints play and and really, really excited about seeing some of the younger guys play in that game. So today we're going to preview that game. We're also going to talk about the five players that I'm looking to watch in this game, uh, just like we did last week. So you guys can kind of get a beat on what I'm looking for and uh, in which players we're hoping uh, will progress and in that regard. So we're also going to uh, go through day two, of the Packers-Saints joint practice. Andy Herman had a nice little piece that he put together that I'm going to read, and we'll uh, we'll kind of hit on that. And uh, then we're also going to hear from cornerback uh, uh, Eric Stokes and head coach Matt LaFleur um, just kind of talking about camp a little bit, just getting a little update there from 1265, a couple of quick quick hitters there. There's a lot of changes that came, came through with the New Orleans Saints. And understand with the new format that we're going to be doing um, – we're going to be kind of scouting uh, the the Packers Total Access episode before every game that the Packers have this season. We're going to be kind of scouting the next opponent. Now, this scouting is going to be a little bit more minute and a little different because obviously there's not going to be a whole lot of starters playing. If they are, they're not going to play a significant amount of time. So there's really no reason in me going into detail of, hey, here's some of the playmakers for the Saints. Here's some guys that could really be a – uh, impact players in the game. You guys know special teams is a whole different, or I'm sorry, a, uh, preseason is a whole different ball game, right? So I'm not going to dive too much into this game, but I do want to talk about the coaching changes and, and things like that because it has been shuffled around quite a bit um, with the New Orleans Saints. But let's do this. Let's just kind of kick the show off and hear from Coach Matt LaFleur and see what he had to say at his presser that was uh, earlier yesterday morning. So uh, let's uh, yeah, let's let's roll this clip and see what he had to say. And if I remember correctly, he really kind of got asked a question about the backfield and uh, talking about some of the goals that Aaron Rodgers has for these running backs. But let's uh, let's hear from Coach Lafleur. I think one goal. 
I think it went well. I mean, certainly there's some things that we have to clean up from an operation standpoint, particularly on the offensive side of the ball. Uh, but I thought really the guys competed hard, and um, no, I thought I thought it was a productive practice. There were a lot of penalties on offense, like 13 maybe. Um, is that a concern, or is it just one of those things? It's the first kind of big deal. Yeah, 13 on offense. I didn't have 13 on offense, but. Um, Maybe you're, be you're better at counting than I am, obviously. Uh, no, I think there was like seven procedural pen penalties, and that's really what, where my concern lies is more, um, you know, the things that you can control, just focusing in on the snap count, making sure you're not covering up an eligible receiver, making sure we have enough guys on the line of scrimmage. I mean, those are, those are silly penalties that can't happen. Yesterday, Aaron said he thought that 50 catches for each Aaron Jones and AJ Dillon was reasonable. Um, have you ever had two running backs A that flexible and B that combine to catch 100 passes in, in your offense? Ever? Well, I don't want to put limitations on that. So, I mean, it could be more than that, right? Um, but no, I think it just speaks to the confidence that he has in those guys and certainly their ability, not only in the run game, but, but as pass catchers. Uh, that's it's pretty unique when you have two guys as versatile as those two guys are, and as you know, you look at a guy like AJ Dillon. There's just not too many backs that size that have those type of hands that are true, you know, halfbacks. You know, you can see some fullbacks that do that, but not halfbacks. Isn't it amazing how when AJ Dillon came out in the draft, the only knock on him was he couldn't catch the football. And then we, lo and behold, we start digging a little bit deeper. And it's because, you know, Boston College didn't throw him the football, right? It wasn't that he couldn't catch. He comes into the combine, actually torches the catch drills, right? And now we're sitting here talking about, you know, he may have 50 catches this year for the Green Bay Packers. It's just amazing how how quickly things can change as far as the narrative goes. But I love what Coach LaFleur said there. He don't want to put limitations on the numbers. You know, Aaron kind of talked about – he could see Aaron Jones having 50 catches and and uh, AJ Dillon having 50 catches. I, I love love that you know I don't know that approach because you know he he also went on to say Aaron did it in this little uh, you know little presser at his locker or whatever not really a presser but an interview where he said um, other than of course the Nicholas Cage statue if you guys haven't seen that that's amazing it, it's my understanding too that AJ Hawk was the one who sent that to Green Bay and had it stashed in his locker I don't know if that's 100 percent true. But that's the rumor I heard, which is freaking hilarious. But um, he was just, you know, Aaron was kind of talking about when you, you've you got to get your best players on the field. And I completely agree. If your best personnel is a 21 look, then do it. Put Aaron Jones and A.J. Dillon on the freaking field. And you can do that out of a gun set. You know, when you hear 21, if you're like me, when you hear 21 personnel, you think two running backs, one tight end, you immediately think of eye formation, offset eye, whether it's weak or strong, maybe even an old school pro set. Those type of things come to mind when you hear 21. In this 21 set, I mean, you've seen it a lot in the last preseason game, not necessarily with 21, but they flexed the running backs out many, many times. I was going back and watching the tape again. I'm on my second roll through that last preseason game, and I noticed that, uh, you know, the, the plated dobs that we broke down on Chalk Talk, yeah, that was 11 personnel with the running back flexed out. But there were so many occasions where they went empty, you know, an empty backfield. 
and the, there was actually running backs in the pass routes. I could see them doing that with Aaron Jones, and it, it's it's like they're getting everybody acclimated to running those type of personnel. And w- and when you talk about doing that and still having AJ Dillon in the backfield, or you know what they love to do so much last year was having Aaron Jones and A.J. Dillon in the backfield, and then pre-snap motion, flexing Aaron Jones out wide, and that's how you get that big wheel route play. He's already got, you know, full full steam ahead, uh, sprinting to the sideline and then wheeling it off, but also just him flexing out and being stationary, whether he's, you know, on the, on the boundary or what have you. So um, I'm really excited to see what they do. But moving along here, Eric Stokes was at his locker, and uh, he talked about a few things. He was just talking about, you know, how the, the, uh, the practice uh, – became physical right and also he's talking the joint the joint practice with the saints became physical and he's also talking about on friday it's going to be even more physical right and i'm hoping we see a few defensive starters on the field uh friday night i know it's kind of you get nervous because you don't want them to get hurt but at the same time you want to see this defense on the field because it sounds like they have been absolutely dominating you know i was listening to ryan's podcast and he was talking about um how the defense has really shined there against the Saints. And I know there's been a couple scuffles break out. And it, it sounds to me like the Saints are just really, really frustrated, to be uh, 100% honest. But let's hear what Eric Stokes had to say about uh, how it's going to be physical on Friday. And then he's got a really, really cool thing in the background. You can see all these post-it notes on his locker. And, uh, you know, it, it's – I don't know, man. It's just uh, – it, it's so cool. I'm sitting here reading some of them over his shoulder. One of them says, uh, you know, uh, thank the man above – Right. Another one says 1030. He'll talk about that here in a second. Um, I mean, there's just so many of them. It's so cool. Feet first, then something else. I can't read that last word, but these are just daily reminders. I'll let him tell you the story. It's pretty cool, though. Uh, They kind of ask him about. Let's go to cornerback Eric Stokes. Practices, their offense or your defense? Oh, defense. Come on now. Like, hey, I'm going to stand on business. I feel like defense, like, we always got a competitive nature to it. We ain't even, even let up anything. So, like, uh, we came out yesterday, we came out a little slow, but picked it up, showed everything. And then today we just came out on goal to where, like, we already knew it was up. So, what, what kind of atmosphere do you expect Friday now? I know a lot of you guys aren't going to be playing, but do you still expect the same type of physical type thing? Of course. I expect it to be even more physical because now, we like, they can actually tackle. Like, we can actually do more, a little bit of little stuff to where, like, now them little cheat shot they were doing during practice that we have rules and stuff. Like, nah, we know the rules. Like, it is what it is. As long as it's between the white lines, we can do whatever. So I feel like it's going to be a lot more physical Friday. Oh, uh, yes. It just goals that I got. I mean, I goals that I got to remember day in and day out. Where this is what I dream for. It's just like different little things that don't let me get too high, don't let me get too low. To where just keep me right in the middle. I'm just trying to keep it. We'll pause it here just a second. One of the notes says, be yourself. The other said, this is the dream. Just reminding himself of, of how to be so thankful for the opportunities, guys. And then composure, all this stuff. Like, this one really means the most where it just brings me back to my peace. Like, whenever I think of 1030, it's my happy place. It's my place where I can just go and just be relaxed. What's 1030? Uh, this is just somewhere where I grew up at, where it just automatically just brings happiness to me. So that would just mean the most to me. You look at those every day? Uh, yeah. I actually just put it up today to where like just help me relax, help me calm, help me don't worry about it too much. Just focus on what what needs to be focused on. Man, you could just tell this kid he's he's been in the success principle books, and uh, you know that when he's talking about ten thirty, he didn't go into all the details, but he said it takes me back to my happy place as a child. Um, I relate to that. I was reading in a book 
that, you know, it talks about when you when you get overwhelmed with life, when you get overwhelmed with stress and, and things might not go your way or you're, you're dealing with something, you're like, I don't understand why this is happening in my life. Um, it's OK to revert back to, you know, at a, in your youth when maybe you had something that that you held near and dear to you. Right. And uh, I won't go into the details of what mine is, but that's definitely what he's talking about there. And uh, I think it's huge. It's just cool because you could tell Eric Stokes is a thinker. This is a smart, smart defensive player, and uh, he does everything with purpose, and that's very, very rare in uh, in today's uh, society. Uh, he just seems like he's kind of an old soul, and, and Eric Stokes is really, really growing on me, man. And I, I, I know the talent he's got, and, and we talk about, um, you know, over and over how if a player comes out their rookie year and they perform in the 60s on PFF as far as a PFF grade, and typically they turn out to be a, a pretty solid NFL player. So he finished in the 60s last year. I'm looking to see him jump into the 70s, and it would be really cool to see him jump into the 80s. But, again, lower 70s would be a solid improvement for Eric Stokes and totally, totally acceptable as far as the next jump. So let's do this. Let's move on to the uh, actual joint practice, okay? And we're going to go to an article that Andy Herman wrote for 24-7 Sports. And I'm going to kind of fly through it here just so you can kind of get an idea of what happened at these joint practices and uh, and understand exactly, you know, kind of, you know, what what conspired here, you know, what uh, what players stood out, who, you know, which players might have struggled, that type of thing. But it says after Aaron Rodgers went one for four in the red zone drill, Sammy Watkins on a back shoulder. Jordan Love came in and threw back-to-back touchdowns to Jawan Winfrey and Samori Torre. The Winfrey touchdown was a beautiful ball down the right sideline where only Winfrey could get it. The defensive back had no play on the ball. Then Love stepped up in the pocket after some initial pressure, rolled to his right, and found Samori Torre for a sliding touchdown catch. Then after Rodgers went one for four again in red zone drills, hitting Winfrey for a sliding touchdown, Jordan Love came back in and went one for two, hitting Romeo Dobbs on a quick out for an easy touchdown. Overall, Love went three for four in the red zone periods with touchdowns to Winfrey, Dobbs, and Torre. So Dobbs and Torre still flashing, and Love is looking sharp. Um, I, you know, like I said, that was an up and down game for Love the other day. Um, but there were some of those balls, especially his deep ball, that just looked pretty. I'm sorry. I know he missed on some other throws, and I'm hearing other people talk about how, oh yeah, well, you know, some of these throws that. We said, you know, the receiver should have caught. They wasn't accurate throws. I'm of the opinion if the ball hits a receiver in the hands, they need to catch it. That's just the way I look at it. I don't expect a, a quarterback to put a ball in a six-inch area, right? I just don't. That's not Joe Montana. I'm really – I've got my expectations completely curved. And we've seen Aaron Rodgers miss on throw after throw after throw deep last year, right? Um, so to sit here and pretend like Jordan Love should be able to, to knock a, a gnat off a bull's rear end with a football is just silly to me. I'm, I'm sorry. I just think it's unrealistic expectations, but said love had some solid throw, uh, solid throws through the team periods and already was in contention for player of the day, but it was the final two minute drill of the day that put the icing on the cake. The situation was the Packers down 35 to 28 to the saints with one minute and eight seconds left. Love had two timeouts to work with from his own 25 yard line. First and 10 on the first play love hit uh, Elias Mack, 
outside for about a six-yard pickup. Mack was able to get out of bounds and stop the clock. This is something Aaron Rodgers tries to do, get a quick positive gain out of bounds and gain some quick momentum. On the next play, Love stepped up in the pocket beautifully and hit Amari Rodgers over the middle of the field for about 19 yards to the 50-yard line. Love quickly called a timeout. It was first and 10, Packers down seven with 57 seconds left. Love still had one timeout timeout at his disposal, but he wouldn't need it. On the very next play, Love hit Torrey for a beautiful 50-yard touchdown pass. Love Love hit uh, Torrey in stride right in stride, and Torre was able to ease his way into the end zone. Love's touch and accuracy was perfect, and he couldn't have handled the ball, handed the ball to Torre any better. Uh, Love wasn't done there, though. The Packers went for two and the win, and as Jordan Love rolled right, he found a sliding Torre for the two-point conversion and the victory on the very last play of practice and the last play of opening open training camp for 2022. It was a picture-perfect ending to the practice, to training camp, and to Jordan Love's phenomenal day. Love will have a huge opportunity to stack success against the Saints with a big game Friday night, but he should have all the momentum in the world after arguably his best practice as a Green Bay Packer. Um, so pretty good stuff. I mean, it's hard to, to you know, to, to beat that, that kind of result against another team um, in a joint practice, right, in a scrimmage uh, setting. And I know this, Samori Torre, for me, he's making the roster. I, I don't – I mean, he he's shown enough. To me, it's no longer a point of, okay, is he the better receiver or, or you know, we can just stash him on the practice squad. I'm not worried about other people signing him. To me, it sounds like a playmaker that we need on the roster. So maybe we do carry seven this year. Maybe I'm overreacting. I don't know. But you keep looking up, and it's Torre, 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 Dobbs, Dobbs, Dobbs. Now, I know Christian Watson hasn't been in these uh, full practice settings yet, but, man, Torre's really, really flashed to me, and he just looks like he belongs. Um, here are the rest of the notes from day two of the practice uh, Packers-Saints joint practices. Prior to practice, Malik Taylor was released with an injury designation. So he's now off the roster. Rashawn Gary was back at practice with no issues after dropping out early Tuesday. You guys know the sky was falling yesterday. Rashawn Gary's fine. Danny Davis and Rico Gafford were out with knee wiggle injuries while Mercedes Lewis had a veterans rest day. Christian Watson, Robert Tunyon, and Elton Jenkins were still doing individual work only. The starting offense was Aaron Rodgers, Aaron Jones, Tyler Davis, Josiah DeGuara, Sammy Watkins, Alan Lazard, Josh Nijman, uh, John Runyon, Josh Myers, Jake Hansen, and Royce Newman. So let's go through that offensive line again. Uh, Josh Nyman at left tackle, John Runyon Jr. at left guard, Josh Myers at center, Jake Hansen at right guard, and Royce Newman at right tackle. Royce has been getting a lot of looks at right tackle. Now we do we want to say this, Elton Jenkins doing his drills on the, on the sideline, you know, he didn't participate in the 11-on-11, but he is going through the drills as if he was a right tackle. So there's a lot to be said there. Sounds like Josh Nijman probably going to be your starting left tackle if David Bakhtiari isn't ready. I'm kind of expecting they, uh, Bach to be ready, though, personally. The other thing that stands out there, too, the starting offense, they were in a 12 look, if you notice. Aaron Jones was the running back. They had two tight ends, Tyler Davis and Josiah DeGuara. Okay, so they're really giving Tyler Davis every opportunity to stand out. You had Sammy Watkins and Alan Lazard. So those are obviously your two boundary receivers. Um, Zach Tom did get time with the ones at right tackle once again as well. So there you go with that. So essentially what it sounds like to me is you've got Zach Tom and Royce Newman battling for the right tackle spot. 
if for some reason Zach Tom were to beat Royce Newman out for that, then Royce Newman would probably kick back to right guard and Jake Hansen would go back to the bench is how I would imagine that would happen. Um, also an opportunity there. Well, the one thing that we can cross off, okay, is that Zach Tom is probably not going to play left tackle. Highly unlikely just based off the practice reps. So just might want to make a mental note of that. After a ton of procedural uh, penalties Tuesday, Tyler Davis had a false start on the very first play of team drills today. So Tyler Davis just showing that inconsistency big time. Davis had a tough day with a drop and two false start penalties on the day. That's freaking horrible. There were multiple skirmishes uh, between the Packers and Saints on Wednesday after none on Tuesday. All were settled down quickly and no major issues came out of it. The Packers really struggled to run uh, run right behind Jake Hansen, uh, Royce Newman, Zach Tom, and Tyler Davis. There were multiple runs that resulted in no gain that went or and, or that went for a loss. The offensive line looked really good in pass protection over two days against the Saints, but really struggled to get any movement in the running game. Um, A.J. Dillon uh, did have two very nice runs in the first team period, but they were by far the exception to the rule. Overall, the first team period, the offense failed to complete the pass. Rodgers threw an interception. Tyler Davis jumped off sides, and there were over 10 runs that went for no gain or a loss of a loss of yard. On the defensive side, the Saints found more success than they did on Tuesday, but the defensive front was swarming once again. Rashawn Gary and Preston Smith combined for a sack. Tipa, uh, yeah, Tipa had a sack. Kingsley and Agbar had multiple pressures and drew a holding penalty. I'm telling you, man, Kingsley, J.J. and Agbar is really, really flashing. Uh, Chris Barnes had a sack. Wow, color me shocked there. Uh, Kenny Clark had a sack, and it was just that type of day for the Packers front seven again. Guys, it's sounding like this defensive front is going to be a monster, and I'm here for it. Uh, One-star player for the Saints over the last two days was Chris Olave. We'll skip past that. Kobe Jones showed up again, pushing a fullback right into the quarterback, Ian Book. Um, so Kobe Jones, that's our boy Sam Holman's guy. Um, showing showing success again. Aaron Rodgers had an uncharacteristically accurate, uh, inaccurate day throwing the football and didn't catch two slot blitzes coming off the left side, uh, something he usually identifies with ease. Jawan Winfrey and Samori Torre both had huge days and came up with multiple touchdown catches. They uh, they could both be fighting each other for one spot on the roster and both look, but both look like fifty three man roster players on Wednesday. Chris Barnes. Uh, let's see here. Chris Barnes was credited with a tackle for a loss, a sack, and a pass breakup per Ryan Wood. Adrian Amos came up with an interception in team drills. Had a boy smash Amos. Christian Watson was backing, uh, was backfielding punts in non-live punt return drills. Uh, that gets me really excited. You guys see my response on Twitter, I'm sure. Christian Watson, yeah, him returning punts with that speed, that's really, really exciting. Aaron Rodgers and, and Josiah DeGuara have one of the best plays for the ones – on offense with a deep ball over the middle of the field. DeGuara did a great job gaining separation from DeMario Davis, and Rodgers hit him in stride for a big play. So you're starting to see more and more of DeGuara playing kind of that NASCAR tight end. That's that's good stuff. The number two offensive line consisted of Cole Van Lannon, Zach Tom, Michael Minnett, um, Sean Ryan, Caleb Jones. Uh, Jones has usually been at left tackle, but he got a look at right tackle today. Tyler Goodson had a rare explosive run for the offense, cutting inside and, and then getting past the second level with a nice burst. The Packers' defense was all over the Saints' offense on their opening two-minute drill. Rashawn Gary had a would-be sack. Jerron Reed had two pressures, and Kingsley and Agbar finished off the drive with a sack for the win. 
Rodgers moved the ball into Saints territory with a two-minute drill, but it sputtered out at the end on a play that Rodgers thought he got off to his running back, but the refs called it a sack. Rodgers wasn't too happy with the decision. Players of the day were Jordan Love, Samori Torre, Jawan Winfrey, and Kingsley Anagbar. Thank God. Kingsley is, is bringing the thunder, and I am really, really excited to see him in that rotation. Um, I think he's somebody who could uh, play a huge, huge role for this defense. We What's cool is you got, you know, Kobe Jones, right? You've got uh, Kingsley and Agbar. And we haven't even talked about Jonathan Garvin, who, you know, for camp was kind of the darling. But now that we're getting a little bit deeper into camp, he's, you know, you're not hearing much about him, but it's Kingsley that's showing up. That's, that's good stuff, man, when you're talking about a fifth-round pick. That's exciting. So um, let's do this, guys. Let's take a second here. We are 23 minutes in. Let's take us a quick commercial break and pay some bills, and we'll be right back. What we're going to do when we get back is we're going to break down uh, the Saints a little bit, and then we're going to talk about the five players that I've got picked to really, really uh, pay attention to. But, uh, yeah, let's take us a quick commercial break. We'll be right back. Ah, mm, the first taste of rare bourbon you finally got your hands on. That's nice. At Caskers.com, we make this experience easy. Caskers is a one-stop spirit curator with an impressive selection of exclusive sought-after rare and household names in the realm of premium spirits and champagne. Discover the top flavors of the year now by going to Caskers.com and using code WELCOME10 for $10 off your first purchase. Get $10 off your first purchase with code WELCOME10 at Caskers.com. Okay, so let's do this. Let's talk about the Saints a second. Now, guys, when we get in season with the regular season, this is going to be much, much different, okay? I'm going to be doing it. Uh, I'm going to be breaking it down by, hey, here's some of the key players. Here's what they did the last game. I'm going to go back and study the tape just a touch on, on our next opponent and uh, and give you kind of a breakdown of things that, that you know, I, I feel like from a game-planning standpoint, the Packers might be looking to exploit and maybe one of their strengths they're looking to kind of block, right? But today, it being a preseason game coming up, there's no need to even talk about the starter. So let's just kind of break down the Saints. All right, first of all, this game is going to be Friday night, 7 p.m. Central, 8 p.m. Eastern time, pretty much the same kickoff time as last week. The Saints in 2021 finished the season at 9-8. and eight. Their scoring offense was 21.4 points per game. They finished 19th in the entire league. Their scoring defense was 19.7 points allowed per game. That was fourth best in the league, guys. So you're talking about a defensive-minded team, right? Um, this is a team that that's their strength. And uh, and I believe, if I remember correctly, yeah, Jameis Winston will not be playing um, Friday. I don't think I've heard anything else about that. So um, you're not going to, you know, probably not going to see him uh, starting at quarterback. So you're going to you know, get a healthy dose of the backups, which, again, I'm here to watch the backups for preseason. I want to see people who are developing. I want to see people who are taking those steps forward and kind of moving in the right direction. But they have a new head coach this year, the Saints do. It's Dennis Allen. He was their defensive coordinator last year. Dennis, Alice, Dennis Allen has been with them for a long time, too. But uh, he's going to take over as head coach as Sean Payton tried to sneak out the back door of the Miami Dolphins. Of course, the league caught him, penalized the Dolphins for tampering. That's a story for another pod, right? So their run-to-pass ratio last year was 49% run, 51% pass. That's one of the more evenly distributed offense in the entire National Football League last year. I mean, you're talking about just a 2% difference between the run-pass ratio, right? They were in 11 personnel 48% of the time. That's extremely low compared to the rest of the league. They were in 12 uh, personnel 20% of the time. They were in 21 personnel 10% of the time, and they were in uh, – 
zero, one personnel 6% of the time. So to break that down, let's just go ahead and group up 12 and 21 together. And this is the statistic that's really, really important when it comes to a preseason game because this is what's going to dictate um, exactly what uh, defensive personnel is going to be on the field, what packages are going to be on the field for the Green Bay Packers. Typically, you get a lot of 11 personnel, which means you're going to see a lot of nickel, two, four, five, two defense two defensive linemen, right, two big bodies in the middle. You're going to have two edge defenders, two edge rushers, and then two linebackers in the middle, you know, uh, molding out your nickel defense, obviously three corners and two safeties. Well, in this scenario, if the Saints stick to the the blueprint that they followed last year, what you're going to see is 48% 11 personnel. Let's combine 12 and 21 because 12 and 21 personnel typically triggers your 34 base defense, okay? So if you combine those two, what you essentially have is 11 personnel 48% of the time, and then you're going to have uh, you know personnel that's going to dictate a 34 front 30% of the time. So we're probably going to see quite a bit of 34 base. And what do I mean by 34 base is three down linemen, four linebackers. You're going to see our base defense a lot. That means you're probably going to see, and I don't know who all is going to start, but if it was just a, a normal game, you're going to, you would see probably Jerron Reed, Kenny Clark, and Dean Lowry, right? Those are probably the three you would see the most. You'd see a mixture of some of the other guys, obviously, as they spell them in and out. But again, you're going to see a lot of 34 front, which to me means we'll probably see a lot of Devontae Wyatt in this game and a lot of TJ Slayton, which is exciting, right? Okay, so moving on to the offensive side of the ball, right, or staying on the offensive side of the ball for the Saints. Their offensive coordinator now obviously is uh, Pete Carmichael, okay? It stays the same, all right? He's been the Saints offensive coordinator since 2009, but there's kind of a caveat there. Um, you know, Sean Payton being the head coach for so long, everybody knows Sean Payton called the plays. Sean Payton installed the offense. Sean Payton essentially was the offensive coach for the New Orleans Saints. Well, he steps away now for the first time, I believe, since 2009. I'm trying to remember the exact year that he went to New Orleans. So he's gone now. Pete Carmichael is, is still the offensive coordinator, but now he's going to have the reins because you have a defensive-minded coach at head coach now with Dennis Allen. So he's going to kind of turn it over to Pete Carmichael and let him run with it, right? Again, he's been there since 2009. On the defensive side of the ball for the Saints, you've got Darren Rizzi. Okay, he was the Saints special teams coordinator last year, and he's been the special teams coordinator since 2019. Okay, so he's been there, what, three years now, right? Three or four years um, going on his fourth year, I believe, if I'm understanding the, the numbers correctly. So Dennis Allen was the defensive coordinator. He was promoted to head coach. And then you got Darren Rizzi, who was the special teams coordinator. He was he was promoted to defensive coordinator. So that's kind of how the Saints shake out there. Right. And uh, just kind of going off of practice. Um, you're probably going to see a lot of Andy Dalton. Uh, this is based off joint practice. You're going to see a lot of Andy Dalton at quarterback and a lot of Ian Book out of Notre Dame, um, you know, uh, at, at quarterback. I always got to mention Notre Dame because I know my Notre Dame players, right, which reminds me, man, I've got a documentary to watch as soon as um, I'm done cutting this podcast because I've got to see this man Tail documentary. Everybody's talking about how great it is. You guys remember you got Catfish right around the time of the national championship that year that he was in a running for the Heisman and all that. Evidently it's on Netflix and they, they kind of break it down and they say he comes out like a baby face in this, uh, in this documentary, which is amazing because at the time everybody made fun of him. They said he was a fraud and all this stuff. It almost ruined his career. And uh, of course I'm going to defend my golden domers. Right. But yeah, it sounds like an interesting uh, documentary there. So I got to check that out. Sorry, I got sidetracked, but anytime the Irish are mentioned, the Irish or the Kentucky Wildcats, I, I got to jump on the opportunity to talk about them for sure. So 
All right, moving along. <clears throat> players to watch. Again, I made a list last week, and some of some of those same players made this list. A couple of them got kind of switched up. <clears throat> but I'm going to kind of give you a reason why I'm looking to watch these players as well. Number one at the top of the list, especially after joint practice today, hands down, is quarterback Jordan Love. Um, I really enjoyed watching him play last week. It was ruled now, I believe it was PFF, that they said that only one of the uh, one of the interceptions he threw last week were uh, were bad decisions, basically. That that it was okay. This was uh, a throw that was warranted as an interception. The other two, they said no. They they basically said that it, it wasn't on Jordan Love. I'm not saying I 100% agree with that. An interception's an interception, right? I mean, it, anytime you <clears throat> you get to the point where you're just willing to kind of oh oh well, it was a pick, but it wasn't his fault. It's still a turnover. And we all know that, especially I think it was Bill Parcells that said it. If uh, if you turn if you lose the turnover battle by one, I think you have like a seventy percent chance of losing the game. If you lose the turnover battle by two, then you're gonna. I think it was something like eighty three or maybe even eighty nine percent loss rate. Sorry to get a drink there. So what that means is <clears throat> when you turn the ball over more times than your opponent. I mean, the chances of losing the game increase tremendously. And I know some people are probably rolling their eyes going, of course it does, you idiot. I mean, that, that's a no-brainer. But you would be surprised at how many people <clears throat> look up after a game and go, man, we really should have won that game. And really all you had to look to is the turnover differential. You guys know if you listen to us break down uh, last year's games, uh, me and Jacob, we went through the whole last season. I think out of, out of all – 16 games or 17 I can't, I can't remember if they played 16 or 17 games now last year. I know out of all the entire season, only one game, the formula didn't match up. And the formula <clears throat> that I put out there was if a team wins the turnover differential battle and the middle eight, then they go on to win the game, right? I know this isn't a gambling podcast, but that's how I gamble on games. I like to follow the line all the way up until uh, the third quarter. And that once that middle eight concludes, I look at the turnover differential. I look at the middle eight, and I typically put a money line bet on the team that's winning both of those categories. If neither team is winning those categories, if they're tied, if one won the turnover differential and the other won the middle eight, then I'm not going to place a bet on it. I'm a very, very conservative <clears throat> when I put action on the game. That's just kind of how I approach that. I'm not a I'm not a risky you know gambler at all. So. Um, with that being said, the middle eight, if you're if you heard that and you go, what the heck's the middle eight? The middle eight is like you're you're playing a separate game. And this is Bill Belichick 101. This is Mike, Michael Lombardi 101. Michael Lombardi conveyed this information in his book, uh, Gridiron Genius. If you guys haven't read uh, Gridiron Genius, pick it up. You can also listen to it on audio book pretty much anywhere you get audio books. It is one of my favorite books of all time. It's called Gridiron Genius, and it's basically Michael Lombardi's journey through football and everybody looks at Michael Lombardi and they say this short little fat Italian and he's so cocky and he's rude and, and all those things are true. Um, you know, I'm not trying to body shame anybody, but when I say things are true, I'm talking of uh, from a sense of uh, uh, his attitude. He does come across as just this little twerp, right? But the guy's been around football his entire life. Guys, he worked alongside Bill Walsh. He was kind of Bill Walsh's personal assistant for, for a few years. Then he went and, and kind of studied under Al Davis. And a lot of people like to remember Al Davis as this kooky old man in his latter years. Al Davis is a freaking pioneer in the game of football. 
I mean, he's a guy who's coached. He owned a team. He was a commissioner of the AFL. He he done so much for the game of football, and he's forgotten way more football than any of us will ever learn. I mean, I really, really believe that. Michael Lombardi studied on them. Then he goes uh, to Cleveland and works with Bill Belichick. And then after that, he goes to New England and works with Bill Belichick, and he works hand-in-hand. There's another book called War Room, and it's by—it's basically a story, the story of Scott Pioli, and it ties in all of the other assistant coaches in with it. Excellent book there as well. Michael Lombardi's mentioned in it several times. But anyway, the middle eight is you treat the middle eight of a football game as if it's a separate, separate game. So the game doesn't start until there's four minutes left in the second quarter, and – the game doesn't end until four minutes into the third quarter, okay? So what you've got is these momentum-swinging plays, and the first thing that's probably coming to mind, if it's clicking right now and you're going, oh, that makes sense, that would be a crucial time of the game. If you guys remember, against Tampa Bay at Lambeau Field, NFC Championship, it's exactly what happened, right? was right before halftime, you get that touchdown catch over Kevin King, right? I mean, it, it, the momentum swings tremendously, tremendously in the middle eight. So you watch the middle eight plus the turnover differential. I mean, those are the things that coaches really, really need to focus on in preaching to their players. And it's why it's so important to have a quarterback like Aaron Rodgers that protects the football. Because if you win that turnover differential and then you don't completely botch the middle eight and you don't suck on special teams like getting a pump block back into the end zone, hint, hint, then you're going to put yourself in a position to win the game a large majority of the time. So just wanted to kind of mention that anytime these thoughts, uh, you know, or anytime I have a thought provoked in my mind, I want to kind of dump it out there to you guys. Um, and maybe uh, maybe you can gleam a little bit of a little bit of insight from that. And if you have any questions about it, shoot an email to me and we could chat about it. If you disagree, shoot me an email and say, Clayton, you're stupid, dude. That's 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 not true at all, right? I 100% disagree. We love the feedback. Um, my second player to watch, wide receiver Romeo Dobbs. Again, um, he keeps creating separation. You're seeing the drop issues a bit. I was watching Ryan's Twitter feed last night, and he was communicating with several fans about the drops. And man, it's just amazing. People go zero to 110 on Twitter. It's so funny. <laughs> like, like I don't even want to get into it. But anyway. I want to watch Romeo Dobbs and see what he does in this second start. I want to see him have a higher catch ratio than, you know, seven targets, only three catches. I know it was a big play. He was creating separation. He done a lot of things well. But I want to see those hands show up. I want to see him outperform that scouting report that had his hands graded a 78% out of 100, right? I want to see him do well. And uh, and really, these this these next two games are going to be kind of a going to kind of tell the story of what kind of role is Romeo Dobbs going to play this year as a rookie. You know what I mean? So I'm really really eager to see um, how he performs in the game against the Saints. Number three on my list is Quay Walker. He makes the list again. You guys know PFF graded him out in the 50s last week. I don't think he had a great game. I went back and watched the tape. Granted, I believe it was only 12 snaps. Hard to, hard to judge such a small sample size, right? But I want to see him this week kind of flash. I want to see what he does this week. And uh, I, if I remember correctly, I read some kind of camp notes. I think it was yesterday. But maybe it was the first – the day before yesterday, the first joint scrimmage, uh, joint practice there with the Saints. I believe there was one play that they had Quay Walker rushing off the edge, and I got really excited. That got my attention big time because I kind of had settled into the fact that Yes, he has the athleticism to rush the quarterback. They, they probably won't do it, though. And granted, it was, you know, 
the best of my knowledge, one snap in a joint practice. That's not that nowhere near saying that he's going to consistently be rushing the quarterback. But again, I want to see Quay Walker. I'd like to see him get like 20 snaps. That would be really, really cool and see if we can get a little bit larger sample size. And guys, if he gets 20 snaps and he performs in the 50s again, then we got to kind of go, okay, maybe, maybe we need to slow the roll on Quay Walker. Maybe he's not going to be that immediately immediate impact player. Again, it's preseason, but I'm trying to curb the enthusiasm in a, in a responsible manner, right? Number four on my list, and I'm really excited about this, is defensive lineman T.J. Slayton. Ryan done an excellent job outlining just how much success he had um, in that first preseason game. And he's been uh, really, really showing up in camp as well in the joint practices. So I want to see T.J. Slayton. Uh, play a significant amount of snaps, and it's so cool because, again, the New Orleans Saints, if they stick to their model and they don't completely try to change things up, they're going to be in either 12 or 21 personnel 30% of the time, which means we're going to have a 34 front, which means uh, T.J. Slayton's going to get his share of snaps. So I, I would like to see a significant amount of snaps for him. His pass rushing ability has been off the charts so far. Ryan was talking about how it's – it's. I mean, it literally it's just it's, – it's one preseason game. We get it. But the number was so high, it's like, wow, either he just had a crazy, crazy good game and it's never going to happen again, or this guy might be cutting the corner in year two and really taking his game to the next level. Because, when you know, I think I speak for everyone when I say when he was drafted by the Packers being that big body, you just think, okay, he's a two-gapper. He's a two-gap, 34 defensive line. What I mean by that is in a 34 defensive line, in a 34 defense, the defensive line – play two gaps, okay? You've got three defensive linemen. You've got one playing nose, and understand they could shift strong or weak. You could play an under or a 34 under or a 34 over. There's a bear look as well. There's a there's an odd look. There's all kinds of different things they can do, but let's just stick with a 34 base. You've got the defensive tackle, the nose tackle, is going to be playing zero technique. And then you've got your defensive ends could be playing any anywhere from a from a two, depending on if it's a solid look or a traditional 34. It could be anywhere from a two technique to a five technique. It just depends on what they're going to do. But the, the point is there's going to be three two-gap defensive linemen. So that means if they do come out and 30% of their snaps, they're playing at least 12 or 21 personnel, TJ Slayton's going to be on the field quite a bit. And that's going to give us a really, really good saturation of is he really cutting the corner and making these strides that we've seen in, in the first week of the preseason. So really excited about seeing him. And then uh, last but surely not least is edge defender Kingsley and Nagbar. This dude, I don't know, man. It's he, I am pleasantly surprised with the camp notes. And he just seems like he's starting to – every day that goes by, it's like it clicks a little bit more. And when you see him on the field, he looks like he belongs. He's like Quay Walker. He just looks like an NFL football player. He got a sack in the preseason game. He was in the backfield multiple times during these joint scrimmages, these joint practices. Um, I'm, I think we may have something there. You guys seen, if you watched the live draft coverage that, of Packernet Podcast that, that Ryan put together, when he was drafted, he was – by far way up on the board, the best player available on my board, just like at the time Devontae Wyatt was. Got really excited about him too. Quay Walker threw me for a loop. But Kingsley and Agbar, such a quality pick. And it's obvious that the reason that he fell was because his run his his run defense isn't nowhere near his pass rushing ability, right? And and we talked about how he, he played a lot of that wide nine in college and it's easier to rush with those those modified hash marks in college football, just everything kind of lined up. I've seen so many occasions where it's like, okay, 
maybe his numbers are a little inflated there. Maybe his success rate, his win rate's a little inflated. Well, you're seeing it at the NFL level now. You just got to kind of curve it and go, okay, he's doing this against second and third stringers. What's that mean? Well, he's a fifth-round pick. You know, the fact that he's winning against the backups say, says that he, he he's probably starting caliber in some defenses, right? Obviously, he's not going to crack – Crack the starting lineup for the Green Bay Packers with Rashawn Gary and Preston Smith, you know, playing edge. But still, it's just going to be uh, – if he turns out to be our top rotation guy and he's obviously playing weak side um, backer or weak side edge, I, I guess you could say. Not necessarily weak side edge, but from the defense's perspective, if you put a camera behind the defense staring at the offense, he's on the right side, okay? So um, he, I guess that would technically be right outside linebacker right edge defender that's what he's been playing primarily so i haven't to the best of my knowledge seen him line up on gary's side so maybe it's something that when preston smith comes off the field he comes in for him and then maybe jonathan garvin comes in for rashawn gary when he needs a spell um, i don't know we'll see right but uh anyway I'm, I'm excited about seeing kingsley play so um i think that's it i think we pretty much covered everything um yeah i just uh, as we wrap up here we're getting ready. Like I said, it's Thursday. We're getting ready to uh, to have our second preseason game tomorrow. We're going to do uh, most likely a watch party. So you guys swing through to uh, to Ryan's YouTube channel and hang out with us. And then immediately following the game, um, we're going to be doing another Packers Total Access post game show. We got tremendous feedback on the post game show. I'm so glad you guys enjoyed it. We had a hiccup. Uh, got hit with a couple copyright things <laughs> on Twitter and on YouTube, so the video isn't there. However, this week we're going to have that ironed out. So what's going to happen, guys, is immediately following the game on my Twitter feed, you will see a live video go up, and Jacob and I, Jacob from Packernet Podcast, and I are going to be on camera doing a post-game show, probably going to last about an hour. It's also going to be on YouTube. And, guys, jump in there and throw us some comments, okay? Ask us some questions. Give us your feedback on the game. We'll be able to post those live on the screen so you'll be able to interact with the Packer Net, or the uh, Packers Total Access post-game show, and that's something that's going to make it way better. We had several people in there last week and really, really appreciate you guys swinging through and hanging out with us. But all of that will be going live immediately following the uh, conclusion of the game. What we're going to do is break down a few uh, statistics. We might play a couple audio clips of some highlights. It just depends on how quickly they hit Twitter. And, uh, yeah, we'll just kind of recap the game, give you an idea of who played well, who played bad, and get you keyed up for uh, – for, uh, you know, the week coming up. And then, obviously, we're going to do that uh, Packers Total Access post game show on Friday night. We're not going to do a show Saturday. Then on Sunday, we're going to do Chalk Talk. And uh, you can probably hear my voice. I'm smiling right now because I really, really enjoy those Chalk Talk segments. So, um, yeah, with that being said, let's get you guys out of here. Thank you so much for your time. Thanks for hanging out with us. Uh, we always appreciate it. We never take it lightly that you're uh, taking time out of your day while you're on the grind or or whatever you're doing at home uh, to, to be able to to listen to us and and support Packernet Podcast. We uh, we definitely appreciate it. Oh, I want to say this too. Congratulations to uh, Mr. Seth Ruder. He won our Monday Night Football giveaway. I know some of you are going, darn it. All right, we announced it the other night on the on the podcast. That's the other thing too. The postgame show is going to be put on podcast, so uh, be be ready for that. If you, if you can't stay up late and watch it live, it's going to be on podcast form for you the next day. It's going to go out immediately as soon as we get through recording. So you'll have that waiting for you on Saturday morning. If you're out mowing the grass, doing whatever you're doing, grilling, you can uh, listen to the post-game show that way too and get the feedback. But, um, yeah, Mr. Seth Ruder, we announced live on the air that uh, that he won the Monday Night Football giveaway. Guys, 
I, I kind of shortchanged them too. I thought he only donated $500 towards uh, Drew's seizure service dog. It was actually over $700. So if he hadn't won, I would have felt like a freaking jerk when I found out later that I missed out on, you know, $200 uh, more of, of entries, right? Um, yeah, that would have stumped. But anyway, Seth Ruder, been in communication with him, already transferred the ticket over to him. He's going to meet us up there. He lives in Iowa. He's going to be driving up six hours, meeting us at Lambeau on December 19th to watch the Packers-Rams play. We're going to hit the t uh, VIP tailgate party, all that stuff. It's going to be an absolute blast. So uh, congratulations to him. There's going to be other giveaways coming real soon. This next giveaway, guys, is going to include – it's going to include uh, autograph memorabilia, and I've got some doozies. I've got some doozies in the works here. And if everything works out, I think you're going to be pleasantly surprised with the. Uh, I I don't want to I don't want to give too many details, but it's looking like an autographed jersey of a uh, a past Packer great. Okay, and it's going to be a really really cool giveaway, and we'll make it easy. We we may attach a GoFundMe to it just to help someone out. So if you guys have GoFundMe's that uh that you know are near and dear to you, that you go, hey man, I, I've got a buddy who's who's had a hard time and he needs help with this. Um, you know, I, I you know obviously we can't do all of them. We can only pick one, but I think it's cool to be able to help people out and then give stuff away to our fans at the same time. It might be same as last time. Maybe we'll just do a one entry limit this time. So it don't get crazy out of control, like a $700 donation, but um, you know, maybe it's just a uh, limited to, to one, you know, $5 donation to the GoFundMe. will get you an extra name in the hat to, uh, to win that autographed piece of memorabilia. So anyway, congratulations, Seth Ruder. Let's get you guys out of here. Thank you so much for your time. As always, let's go out and be the change that we want to see in the world and go back go. Third down inches to go.